welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Again, I'm glad that you joined us today. We closed up last week our four-week series on the Holy Spirit called Power. Was that helpful for you to talk about the Holy Spirit, learning the power of the Holy Spirit through us? Jesus said in the ascension, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And there is incredible power. We've been praying for people to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And just so you know, just because we're walking away from that series, if there's a time where you feel like God is moving on you to be filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit, come see me. We're going to pray for you anytime. I'll pray for you about anything, with you about anything. But if you want prayer for the Holy Spirit, please don't hesitate to come up for that. Um, And just because we're closing the series does not mean we're going to stop talking about it just because Pentecost is over. In fact, we have two phenomenal speakers coming before the end of the year to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. At the end of this month, we have Tim Enlow is going to be here to preach. Some of you maybe heard him before. I've heard him probably close to a dozen times. Excellent communicator on the Holy Spirit. He's going to be here at the end of July. And then later in the year in November will be Ty Buckingham. Both of these guys go around the country preaching about the power of the Holy Spirit. So do not miss those Sundays. I can't wait to sit next to you all and learn from them. But today, we're starting a brand new series. Typically, I kind of give you a heads up. I give you an idea last week what we're about to go into, but I I didn't do that last week. But we're going to go into what I consider to be our summer series. If you remember last year, we had our summer series called Not a Coconut. Does anybody remember we talked about the fruit of the spirit last year? We did that for eight weeks. If you're wondering where I got Not a Coconut, well, first of all, it's because I I know coconut is terrible. It's it's disgusting. Don't eat it. Uh, Okay, that's my just personal opinion. Um, But there's a song, if you remember from Sunday school, the fruit of the spirit's not a coconut or it's not an apple. If you want to be an apple, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, right? And so for those of us who have been in Sunday school our lives, we knew that song. And this summer, we're going into a series on the armor of God. If you also remember, there's a kid song related to that, right? Um, I'm not going to sing it all, but I, I remember the, the, the motions. I'm not going to do them for you. I just remember they, they went something like, I may never march in the infantry, fly over the enemy, shoot the artillery. Of course, all the boys back then, when they did that motion, it was like, right? They're really excited to shoot the artillery. But we are going to take about six weeks to go through the different parts of the armor of God And this series is called Suit Up. Suit Up. For all the superhero fans here, we know that when you're suiting up, it means the hero is about to get their gear and something's about to go down. Do we have a clip for that? Let's show that.
right, how many know, we could have done on the fade down. No, that's my fault. Um, how many know when you see the team about to suit up, something's about to go down, right? I thought about deferring the rest of my time so we could just watch the rest of that movie, but that would not be um, important spiritually for us. So there's about to be a battle. And, and so this, this team has a, a group to defeat a villain. And we know that if we claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have a very real enemy ahead of us, right? And you, you cannot choose whether you're in this battle, just so you know. If you're a Christian, it's an opt-in. It's an automatic thing. You're in a battle. And your battle is not against a poorly constructed CGI character. It's not against an enemy with a lame backstory or, or awful costume. We have a very real enemy in the devil. And he desires to hurt you, destroy you. He wants to kill you. The Bible makes that very clear. Jesus said the thief meaning the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm thankful that he also said, I have come that you would have life and you would have it more abundantly. So there's abundant life in Jesus. And in order to be in Jesus, we must live like Jesus. The armor of God is simply an analogy to demonstrate what living like Jesus clothed in, in truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and the word of God can look like. And the passage on the armor of God, it can be found in Ephesians chapter 6. A couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about the conversion of Saul when he became Paul. And Paul became a vital part of the New Testament as he wrote numerous churches, different different letters to different churches all throughout the world, from Corinth to Rome to Galatia to Ephesus. And Paul writes this short letter to the church at Ephesus, not because there was an issue, nothing that we can see was an issue, but because Ephesus was a great place of wealth. It, it was a port city in the Roman province. And the general theme of this letter is finding unity in the work of Jesus Christ and in the community of people united to Jesus. We know that it's possible that in a place of wealth, it can be easy to rely on riches and wealth rather than Jesus. It's a powerful six chapter book. I, I encourage you to read all of it on your own time, but today we're gonna specifically start in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. This is the very end of the book of Ephesians. We know this because of how it starts. Read with me from verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All right, there's a lot here that we are going to unpack over the next several weeks. Let's start by talking, uh, taking it little by little. Let's, let's look back to verse 10. What does it say? Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Our strength is not in this armor that we're putting on, okay? It's where the armor comes from. Be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in you. Not, not be strong in your own wealth, in your own force, your own finances, your, your own friends. Be strong in the Lord. The Old Testament has a great example of a man who had to be strong in the Lord. David was running away from King Saul. David was running away from the attacks of the enemy. There comes a time where David and his men, their city was destroyed, and the women and children were taken away from them. You can read the story in 1 Samuel 30. It says the men were distraught. They, they were hopeless and helpless. They felt like there's no way around this. They wanted to kill David. They wanted to stone their leader. And it says David went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He got away from the people, away from the noise, and got alone with God to find his strength. And God told him, go, track down, you will be able to take over the enemies and gain back the women and children. If you feel tired and weak and hurt and broken, you need to get away from people and into your prayer closet. You need to find your strength as you worship. You need to allow faith to arise and a supernatural strength to come from God. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And then, Paul says, to put on the whole armor of God. Or as I like to say, suit up. Suit up with the whole armor of God. We need all the armor that God has given us to protect us from the devil, because again, we are in a battle. I cannot stress this enough. If you are ignoring the battle, it probably means that you are losing the battle because you're not focused on where you need to be. We're not focused on flesh and blood. When we have difficulties with people, and I assume you do because we're all people, our, our difficulty is not with flesh and blood. It's with powers and principalities far beyond us. And it says specifically, we do not wrestle. This is a present tense. This is not saying I have wrestled and it's all over. It's not saying I will wrestle in the future. We do not right now in the battle that I'm in, I'm not struggling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. You know that? We are in a present battle. If you're ignoring it, you might be losing it. Start paying attention. And if you're a Christian and you're living and breathing, you're in the fight. And in order to win that fight, you must suit up. Amen. Let's look at verse 13 again. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We suit up so that we can resist the enemy and remain standing in the presence of evil. If you think about traditionally, when someone would walk into the room 
back in that day, in that culture, you would kneel before them when they were of greater power than you. But Paul is saying when you have the armor of God, when you're in his strength and not your own, you can remain standing because the evil one is not more powerful than you. There should have been a lot more amen to that. That is a good word. Come on, you can remain standing when you stay strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God because the evil, the greater is he that is in you than the evil that is in front of you. There is a greater power than the enemy in this world. And read verse 14 again, just the beginning of it. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Today, we're going to look at the first piece of the armor of God that Paul gives us, the belt of truth. Today's message is called Truth Sets the Tone. Truth Sets the Tone. And if you're one of those people that are looking at your clock and realize, I just now announced the message, relax. We're going to go through these two points pretty fast. Don't worry. The truth sets the tone. Quick introduction of the context. When you fasten on the belt, you can then, then stand. There are some times where when we're sitting down, the need for the belt is, is less necessary, right? Because we're just sitting down. Now, if you're smart at Thanksgiving, you have maybe unbuckled that a little bit. You know, you've given yourself a notch too. Maybe you've taken the belt off. Maybe you are very smart and just wore stretchy pants for the day. But when you're standing up for action, when you're standing up into preparation for a battle, you have to put the belt on. And to learn more about the belt, or to, I'm sorry, to learn more about truth, we're going to look a few times at the gospel of John today. We're going to start with what is, rather who is truth. We know John 14, 6. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ definitively stated he is the truth. He is the truth. Anything that comes from God, anything that comes from the inspired word of God is truth. So if Jesus is truth, his words are truth, that means anything in contradiction to Jesus is the opposite of truth. It means it is lies from the enemy. Anything that the Bible stands in opposition to is false, cannot be taken as true. I've got two simple points today regarding truth. Now that we know that Jesus is the truth, we know, number one, the truth is pure. The truth is pure, meaning it is perfect and it is absolute. It has no flaws. It has no errors because Jesus is pure and without error. It means this. The truth is absolute, not relative. It is objective, not subjective. What Jesus speaks on something is not to be taken as a suggestion or just an interesting idea or concept. It is fact. If someone tries to speak or preach without the word, the use of the word of God, be cautious. Just saying, be cautious. I don't come on Sunday mornings to give you my ideas or my thoughts or to tell you what I think you should do, I come on Sunday mornings desperately trying to communicate the purity and the perfection of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Do you know how I look at someone's message? I rate by how well I can remember what we're talking about in Scripture. People can have a lot of great one-liners, but if it isn't grounded in the Word of God, we can't know if it's truth unless it's found in here. But when the Bible speaks on a topic, His Word is the source of all truth, all wisdom, and all knowledge. And because the truth is pure, meaning it's objective and absolute, it means that it solves matters of conflict. When something's purified, it, it means that it has been tested in the fire. The word of God, it, it remains true no matter what the trends or the timeline says. Look at what Jesus said about the truth in John's gospel. Look at John 8, 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It all starts by what? Abiding in the word of God. When you abide in the word, you will know truth. And if you know truth, you will know freedom. Why do we know freedom? Because you're going to know what is right and what is wrong. You're, you're going to know what is correct behavior, what is incorrect behavior. When you take the word of God as absolute and pure and truth, you can have the confidence to know what is right and what is wrong, where I have the freedom to move and where there are restrictions to keep me safe. But if you're not grounded in that truth, if you choose to look at the Bible as a suggestion, then you become impressionable to the arguments of this world. I say, well, I guess that could be right. Oh, they make a really good argument over here. Maybe this is right. If you're choosing to use this as just a suggestion box, you're going to be easily swayed by the arguments of this world. You're going to be easily swayed when, when the purity of truth is tested, when people say, oh, oh, it's okay to watch this movie. You're not really hurting anything if you look at pornography. If you know what the word of God says, Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. When people in the world say things like, it's okay for love to manifest itself in any way that they want it to. It's, it's okay if love means a man with a man or a woman with a woman. We can say, no, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that unrighteous to be sexually immoral Adultery is immoral, gay sex is immoral, as any other type of sexual immorality. But we can't say that for sure if we don't know what the Word of God says. That's not the truth according to Matt. That's not the truth according to some other pastor or other church that we follow. That's the truth according to the perfect and pure truth of the Bible. But sometimes when we come face to face with the truth, it's hard. It's convicting, right? We can know the truth and also choose to not like the truth. That's what the Bible says. I, knew, I know truth can be difficult to hear, but if you abide in God's word, you will have truth. And when you have truth, you will have freedom. Truth is not hateful. Truth is love. It means that you love someone so much that you want to tell them the hard truth. You want to lead them to, towards the place of Jesus and eternity in heaven. Now, of course, there's a right way to share truth. There's a wrong way to share truth. There's a way that's easier to receive and a way that's easier to avoid and ignore. 
but the belt of truth is putting on the biblical beliefs of the Christian as a whole. Culture will try to say that the church actually needs to take that belt of truth off in order to be relevant. They will say the church needs to change out of their old ways. And yes, our methods may change, but our doctrine will not change. The ways that we communicate the gospel might change, but the doctrine of the faith of what we believe in the Bible cannot change. I heard this analogy recently, and I'm going to try to do it justice. Um, one of my favorite movies, maybe all time, it's called Inception. Anybody familiar with the movie Inception? Uh, a fan of some of Christopher Nolan's work, Prestige and Dark Knight and all those things. Inception, it's a very complicated movie to explain, but let me give you a portion of it. Essentially, the main character, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, he is trying to infiltrate people's dreams in order to plant inside their minds ideas that they think came from them. Grand ideas that could start new companies or, or collapse companies or do all types of different things in the world. And you can go so far to go into a dream, into a dream, into a dream. I know, it's complicated. But that's essentially what happens. And what Cobb has, because he's been in the dream world so much, at certain times, he forgets what is reality and what is dream. So what he keeps with him is a token. Each person that does this has a token. He's got this top. And sometimes Cobb would wake up and he would be so paranoid knowing, am I in the dream world right now or am I in reality? He would take that top and he would spin it. I wish I had a top for you to spin it. I also would do a pretty lousy job at it. But if the top continues to spin and spin and spin on and on and on, he knows he's still in the dream world. But if that top eventually topples over, he knows he's in reality. But it's this objective part that is separated, this item that's separated away from his emotion, away from his perspective, that gives him the knowledge of what reality he is in. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The Bible is meant to be that objective top. To know I get so caught up in my emotions, in my experiences, in my situations, I need to go back to this to remind myself, no, I'm grounded in reality, not in what the world is saying. It was an objective, unbiased item, detached from perspective and emotions. Now that we know that the truth is untainted of the Bible, it's uncontaminated, the truth remains pure, and our second point, the truth is primary. The truth is primary. That means it comes first. When I began to think about this Armor of God series, I intended to just go from head to toe. I intended just to start with the helmet of salvation and work my, down, work my way down to the feet. But I believe there's a reason why Paul lists out in the order that he does. I, th I think God is a God of order and intention and design. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but I think God is intentional when he communicates with us. I'm going to give you, if you remember back to the Beatitudes we talked about before Easter, we looked at the sequential pattern of how Jesus started with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek before he got to blessed are the persecuted. There's a reason for that. If he started out with blessed are the persecuted, he might have a whole lot less followers listening at that time. 
It's a lot harder to be ready for persecution than to be poor in spirit and to be humble. Jesus said, be, be humble first, be meek before you can look at being a peacemaker for people, before you can look at being ready for persecution. I think in the same way, there's intentionality of the order that Paul starts with the belt of truth before he continues on with the other pieces of armor. Because you cannot be prepared to equip yourself with all the elements without the belt of truth. If you don't have a good belt on, we know this in the physical, right? If I don't have a good belt on and I get up to walk around, my clothes may not stay on. My pants may fall to my ankles. The belt is to keep everything intact and secure. The belt by itself is really not a weapon. But what it does is it prepares you to keep everything turned on, put on, so that when you put the armor on, it keeps that all secure and in place. The belt keeps everything secure because if you don't have the belt of truth before you have on the breastplate of righteousness or the helmet of salvation, the truth of the power of those elements, you may struggle. Because you'll think, I put on the helmet of salvation without truth. Salvation can come from any God. Salvation can come from any religion. I can call on the name of any God and I will be saved. But if you put on the belt of truth, you know that Jesus is the only way to eternal life through God. You can put on the breastplate of righteousness and say, I'm righteous by my own works. My actions are what causes my righteousness. It's when you put on the belt of truth first, you realize the righteousness. The Bible says there is none that is righteous. It is only through the righteousness of God and the blood of Jesus Christ that we can claim righteousness through him. The truth has to be primary. It has to come first before we can clothe ourselves in the rest of the armor of God. Let me show you one more example of what or who truth is in Scripture. In John, Jesus was, he was speaking to his disciples. This was getting closer to the crucifixion scene. He was saying, there's so many things I want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you this. Let's look at John 16, 12. Brent, you can come up and, and uh, play as we close. It says, I still have many things to say, to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus said there's so much more to tell you. He's like, I wish I could tell you more. I wish I could be here longer. But he says, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. He will speak whatever the Father tells him to. It says the Holy Spirit, it says he will even speak to you about future things. The importance of the Holy Spirit is, is not just that he's in line with the word of God. It's that and he will give you wisdom and circumstances and situations that you're not sure what the Bible says. There are gray areas in our life that we need the Holy Spirit for his conviction into righteousness. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, man, when is Matt going to stop talking about the Holy Spirit? The answer is never. Never. Because we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen and to comfort us and to speak truth into our lives in this world. He will guide us into truth. 
he is specifically in this passage, Jesus calls him not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of truth. We have to be prepared with the truth because the world wants to tell you that everyone can have their own truth. Oh, that's, that's fine for you. That, that's your truth. This is, this is my truth. If everyone has a truth, which one is actually truth? Because they can't all be true at the same time. What happens when my truth conflicts with your truth? There has to be one truth. There has to be absolute truth. Think about for the parents in this room, when the kids all rush to you, talking about how someone got punched or pinched or pushed or whatever happened, there's a couple different stories that come, right? Trying to find what is the truth in all of that. Parents, you need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to help guide you through difficult situations. All of us need the Holy Spirit to guide us into what is truth. We have to be willing to put on the belts of truth. We're not relying on the words of man. We're relying on the words of God. Now, again, just because we have truth, that does not mean that we should be able to speak truth without love. There's a reason why people that are at sports events and yelling things and holding up signs, there's a reason why there's not a lot of success in that, to my knowledge. Because there's not a lot of love and there is no relation when they're doing that. To the, to the Facebook truthers out there, I gotta tell people what I know. I'm gonna change the world by this Facebook post. I gotta say, there's probably a 0.0000001% chance that you change someone's mind with what you post on Facebook. And that's being optimistic with that percentage rate in my mind. Now we have to speak the truth in love and through relation. Speak the truth in love. I think there are gonna be opportunities in conversations with the friends at work, with your family members, with your neighbors. I think there will be God-ordained moments when you have the opportunity to share the truth in love, the truth of who Jesus is to you, what he has done in your life. Saying, I know what the Bible says about that. I think there are gonna be opportunities if you're willing to put on the belt of truth to make an impact in your world. Would you stand with me as we close? got to show you just one more passage that tells us specifically about our responsibility of speaking truth to those around you. Look at the three different times it talks about truth. Ephesians, this is two chapters before the armor of God. It says this, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as in the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds 
put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's the last verse. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Isn't that powerful? I know that was a lot, but do you know the importance of that scripture? How we can be saved from darkness and ignorance, how we can resist impurity with the purity of the truth of Jesus Christ. It says the truth is in Jesus and we are created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I think it's interesting that he has to put the word true before talking about righteousness and holiness. Not righteousness and holiness as defined by our world, what true righteousness looks like. And then he says this, look at the last verse again. Having put away falsehood, removed from those impurities, it says each one of you, who's supposed to speak truth? Just the pastors, just the leaders, only those that have been with God or a relationship with Jesus for a few years, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. There are times we have to speak truth first and foremost to our brother and sister in Christ. I'm believing that the word of God will give you an opportunity to also share that truth with the people around you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to pray with you as we close this morning. I know the difficult the difficulties of sharing the truth. Some of us are non-confrontational people. But there's a way to do it in love. To lovingly guide our brother and sister that's in need of of a direction, a shift. To be able to help those that are in need of the truth of what the Bible says. To be grounded. It's not about relevance. It's about absolute truth. God, we thank you today. I pray a blessing over this people as they go forward. I pray that they would put on, they would fasten on the belt of truth, knowing that it is both pure and it is primary. That it starts out putting on the full armor of God. I pray that you would protect us as we strengthen ourselves, not in our own abilities, but in the power that you've given us. Strengthen ourselves in you, God. I pray that you would bless each person. I pray for moments in their workplace, in their families, in their neighborhoods, where they have an opportunity to share truth with the world around them. I pray a blessing over this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.